Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. What's up, fam? How are you guys doing? That's good to see you guys. Everybody out in the overflow as well. I'm thankful that you're here with us as well, man. I'm excited that you're here. We're going to talk about some fun stuff today. Uh, I got a question for you. How much money is too much money? Some of you are like, I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're giving it away, I always take more. Like, come on. Uh, here's, here's what I would, here's what I would uh, theorize might be the, uh, the answer if you were to try to get it biblically. Any amount of money that takes your eyes off of Jesus is too much money. Whatever the amount, some of you, if I gave you $100, that's all you need. You have 100 bucks in your pocket, you're not thinking about God anymore. Some of you, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in your bank account and you still don't think about God. There is no amount of money that gets you to lead towards God and so therefore your, your money distraction is just that. Now, if you're new, if this is your first time at church, my name is Josh, I'm the lead pastor here and we are talking about giants that need to fall in our lives. In the Bible, they're giants and they represent distractions and discouragements and these, uh, these invasive forces that keep us from God's best. And this weekend, we're gonna talk about the one that I think is most prevalent in our lives, most common, especially in our country, but even in our churches, and that is the giant of money. And most of you just went, crap. I came on the money one, gosh darn it. Last week we talked about like death and grief. And you're like, I just, can we do that again? Like I'd rather talk about that than talk about this. Here's the reason why it hurts when we talk about this idea of money. See money, whether you have a lot of it or you're in debt and you owe a lot of it, it still becomes this all consuming part, uh, part of our lives. And our hearts, those who have a ton, we tend to become greedy or selfish or self-centered or manipulative. Those that don't have enough, we tend to be worried or anxious or filled with uh, you know, uh, doubt about God or greed for what we could have or envy of what others have. And either way, this God of money, this giant of money begins to distract us. What money teaches us is that God is looking God is looking for people who will manage his money well. That's called stewardship. He allows this giant of money to have so much of a presence in our life because what it does is it reveals in our hearts who it is that we think is in control. And almost every single one of us struggle with this giant in one way or another. The idea of can I steward what God has given me will be something that'll be tested. And if you're going, yeah, I knew it. Here's that old message, money's bad. Money's not bad. God gives money to a lot of people. Read the scriptures. The richest people in the Bible are the ones that God blesses with money. Money is not the problem. God can't bless you with money because you love it too much. He only blesses the people with money who don't turn their hearts towards the money and away from him. See, this is what 1 Timothy is talking about. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it doesn't say that money is evil. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people who have been craving money, they've wandered from the true faith and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
So when you hear people say money's the root of all evil, they're misquoting that verse. If money was sin or money was evil, then God would be bad for blessing people with it. God wouldn't put sin on somebody. He blesses people. He makes people prosperous when they can handle it. Our problem is our hearts lean towards money and towards our finances. This is what Matthew chapter six is talking about. It's saying no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved. Look at that word. You can't serve God and then still be enslaved to money. Well, I'm not a slave to money. Yes, you are. That's the part, that's the part you're probably gonna wrestle with today. Money creeps in and grabs onto our hearts. Now you might say, well, I'm not greedy. Greed shows up in different ways. For people who have money, the materialism and the need for more and the ego that it is and the pride that we take in it or the manipulation that we have to make sure our kids have more or we have a good this or have that, that's where that money comes from. The, the, the greed part of being in debt and not having enough money is that we begin to crave and envy what other people have and we begin to worry that we don't have enough and if we only had more, and what's weird is whether you're in here and you're a multimillionaire or you're hundreds of thousands in debt, you still think, if I just had more, if I just had more, and your heart begins to wander away. The giant of money is a master plan from Satan to distract us from the God who created us. And most of us are not, and here's, here's why I think I have to preach this message, because I don't want to preach this message, and if you know me, I hate talking about this. But I have to preach it because so many of the people right now listening to this message in here, online, in this room, or over in the other overflow, we are not living the life that God has created us to live. He designed you, he created you to, to say yes to him in a lot of different areas, and you're usually saying no because you don't have the time or the money to do it. You don't trust him to give to something because you need your money somewhere else and you're not available to him because you're committed somewhere else. Now, not everybody in here struggles with this, but most of you do. And if you don't struggle with it, maybe there's somebody who needs your example. So just test yourself against what it is that God's saying in, in his word. You, Jesus tells a story and it's in three of the gospels. We'll look at the one in Mark, in Mark chapter 10. There's a rich guy that shows up to him and says, teacher, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. And he's asking, he's like, hey, what do I have to do to be close to God? And Jesus is like, well, what, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I do everything. I do it all. I'm a great person. I go to church. I know the Bible. I'm in temple all the time. And it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And he said, hey, there's still one thing that you haven't done. You need to go and sell all of your possessions and give your money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you can come and follow me. And it says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around at his disciples, and he said, hey, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? See, Jesus, and, and like, there's a lot of stories in the Bible of people in debt, and there's stories of people in the Bible who have money, and Jesus is exposing the same thing. As much as money is a blessing, right? Like, God, if you want to bless me <laughs> with some money, woo, I'm ready. God is saying it's also a responsibility. He says, we don't understand that we are not called to take care of ourselves. Whenever God gives you anything, 
the 24 hours that he gave you today, the years that you have so far and the years that he's gonna give you in the future, and every penny in your bank account and every ounce of talent that you have, that is God entrusting you to manage his stuff for him. You are a manager of what God has given you. That's why it's called stewardship, so that you can give it back to him for his glory. All of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure, and all of your testimony are God's gift to you. And he says, in an act of faith, you manage that and cultivate that so that you can give it back to me and make me glorified. Your life will find its true purpose. You'll start to find real joy and peace when you are not enslaved to your treasure or your time or your talent, or your testimony. When you learn to be open-handed, whoo, man, that's when it starts to get good. But this, is, this might explain to you why I think Satan has so carefully crafted money to be such a, a master, such a, such a slave driver in our life. A few of you in here have more money than you know really what to do with biblically. Most of you in this room suffer from the other problem. That's the debt problem. The Bible says, uh, not the Bible, that's <laughs> not the Bible. There's an old saying that says there's the haves and the have-nots. And there's also the haves but not have yet paid for it. And that's, that's where most of us are. We have a lot of things we haven't paid for. It's debt. The, I read some statistics looking it up. It said that the average person between the ages of 18 and 60 has $26,000 in debt. That's not including mortgages if you own a house. Just just even without houses, the average person in this room owes 26,000. Some of you are like, I wish it was only 26,000. Um, but that's the average. Uh, also, the average 20 to 30 year old in this room owes $6,400 in credit card debt. And if you know credit card debt, credit cards have a high interest rate. You know, like, is that really a problem? Yeah, uh, last year we were at 900 and some billion and we started 2024 20, off, the United States did, with $1 trillion in credit card debt. Just our country alone, just 300 million people have over a trillion dollars in credit card debt. It's a problem, why? Because money, usually debt, but even excess wealth, becomes a master that enslaves us. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. So how can I have money and not be enslaved to it? Well, that is the problem. That is a hard thing to do. That's going to require discipline. Let me show you a picture that they give to college students to illustrate this idea of distraction. Um, those of you that are, are listening to this on the podcast, I'll describe the picture to you. There's a prisoner reaching through the bars of his cage, trying to reach out and grab a loaf of bread. He's got a stick in his hand and he can almost reach the loaf, but right next to the loaf is a key to the cell that he's locked in. And this picture is done to illustrate a point. If you make somebody think that their primary need is one thing, they'll ignore the thing that they really need. Now, if I was Satan, this is a picture of you and this is a dollar bill. And the very thing that God has created to set you free, you will ignore in your pursuit of something that you're convinced you need more of. Oh, it got real quiet. We are enslaved to our money because we, we have been taught by the culture around us that we need more. You have a world that keeps telling you debt's okay. It's okay. You can't afford it. You buy it on credit. That's a good thing. How many, how many times have you heard this? That's good debt. It's good debt because it's building your credit score. It's building your credit. Bullcrap. 
They, they, you get propped up because you buy into this culture that says, oh, you, you want it and you can't afford it. You just be a big boy and put it on a card and just, just go ahead and you get you whatever you want. You'll be paying for that forever. Why do you think that's a good idea? Because the world told me it was okay and everybody did it. Yeah, there is a plan from the devil to make sure that you don't have any resources allocated so that you can say yes to God when he comes calling. And most of you say no to God because of poor choices you made. I remember a couch that I bought when, when I was in college. I needed a couch and the ones I could afford were crap, but there was this really nice one. And the salesman said, you can't afford it? Don't worry, we've got a payment plan. You can take it with you today and pay it off later. And I said, sweet. And I paid for that couch for 10 friggin' years. <laughs> Most expensive couch I ever owned. It stopped feeling soft like after the first year and I still had to pay for it forever. Why? Because we have this mentality that it's okay. Forbes magazine puts out a list of the top people uh, that have earned money in the U.S. And they, talk, they put out their top 400 richest people. They interviewed those people and 75% of them, when they said, hey, what's the most important part to making money? 75% of them said, have to be out of debt. The richest people, that's not a Bible thing. That's just the richest people that were asked, how do you make money? They said, you can't be in debt. How is it that they figured that out? But the standard for most of us is to just keep buying stuff on credit and paying it off later. Buy now, pay later. Do you understand that's kind of what Satan said to Eve? You want it? It doesn't matter what the consequences are. You just get it. Go, whatever makes you happy. And now you, you begin to slowly understand why it is that God says that, Money is, is too big of a problem in our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You don't think Satan wants you enslaved? Wake up. Some of you have been in bondage to the giant of money for so long. You've gotten used to it like that prisoner. You think I just need that, I need that bread. No, you need to be set free. This giant needs to fall. And today is going to be a little bit painful. And so you're going to have to resist that internal urge to be like, money. you just have to go, okay, God, what is it that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear? Here's, here's a, a quote I heard, because a lot of people don't think it's a problem, but I love what, how Victor Hugo said it this way. He said, a creditor is worse than a slave owner. The master owns only your person, but a creditor owns your dignity and can command it. And it's this idea that it kind of shows where there's so many of us that this, this weight that we owe, these payments that we have, this mortgage, this debt, this, these, these things that have been accumulated, they, they suck the life out of us. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no ambition in your life. Some of you are zombies. You're, you're afraid and you're angry or you're stressed or you're greedy. Why? Because money has such an imposing presence. It is a giant if ever there was one. And God's looking at you going, that's not my best for you. That's not my plan for you. This is, <clears throat> this is, this is why and I think some of you are going to need to wrestle through this. I am not against money. God is not against prosperity. He brings prosperity, Deuteronomy says. He's against the prosperity gospel, which is bull crap. That is not from him. That's just garbage you see on TV, which is, by the way, why some of you are so like opposed to me right now and your body language is you're crossing your arms and you're having conversations in your head why this message doesn't apply to you. It's because there was a pastor or a priest that mismanaged this topic and abused God's word and, and really spoke 
out of turn. He shouldn't have. And that's not God's fault. That's man's fault. The way God says to do it is that he's trying to, he's trying to set you free. Here's what I want you to understand. You owning money is fine, but money owning you is idolatry. When you go to something, understand, it is an idol in your life. When you go to anything, you go to anything that you put your hope in, your trust in, your fear in, your desires towards, anything that you pursue before you pursue God is an idol. Sometimes it's your job, sometimes it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids or your vacation, but for most all of us, it is wealth of some kind and it becomes an idol. And God says, no, 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 I want, to, I want you to know that I am the number one provider in your life. That's what he's trying to teach us, how to be managers of what he's given us and understand if he's given it to us, then we just trust him and then he'll give us what we need. He'll give us more. That's why Matthew 6, 21 says, your heart will be where your treasure is. Whatever it is you love, whatever it is you choose to pursue, whatever it is you put your hopes in, whatever it is you dream on, that's where your heart will go towards. That's why some of you are so consumed with your job because you think if you become a workaholic, you'll prove your value or you'll somehow protect your family. Some of you, you're so consumed, your heart is with having somebody to love you back and getting married or finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're putting your heart, you're making those things into idols, which is putting them between you and God, which is making a jealous God unhappy with your priorities. Some of you are not being blessed in your finances because you have put your finances ahead of God. And you're like, you're telling God, God, if you would just give me more, then I'll serve you. And God's like, no, 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 that's not the order. That is not how this works. You're telling me that money is your God and that I serve you and serve money. And God goes, that's not how it, can you imagine being the creator God who spoke into existence the very cosmos? And that on one of those little planets that he created, he put all of these little pieces of dust that, that we call humans. And he says, I love you so much. And then he watches that little piece of dust get all excited about a little thing in the ground called gold. He's like, you're losing your mind over that? That's what you've rejected me for? Is what all the other stupid little pieces of dust are all excited about? Really? That's your priority list? And you're like, that's what I do. It's what matters most. He's like, no. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. What is he trying to tell us? Look at the next verse. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? I had a professor that said it this way. Finances are simply an indicator of how seriously you take God. That's how they are. Money is just there to judge who, where, your, where your faith is. You can be mad at God and you can be mad at the family you were born into and you can be mad at, at the neighbor who has nicer cars than you and you can get all of this twisted in your head and in your heart. All it does, this giant of money can't actually do anything. It's just revealing to you where it is that you put your faith. You're so upset about this topic and you're so moved or angry or confused or greedy or whatever by this, this substance because you do not have your faith aligned with the creator who made you and by the way, made that stuff too. You have now bought into a worldly mindset that says that's the single most important thing. Get a dollar, make another dollar. That's what, that'll make you happy. Get a promotion, 
get a great vacation, get a great, get a great retirement plan. That is, that'll be where you're truly happy. Have you met rich people that don't have Jesus? Man, it's, it's, and listen, there are people who do have Jesus. I'm not, I shouldn't say it that way. There's people who, in this room, you have Jesus, but you haven't misaligned. Money just makes you more greedy. And the more money you have, the more problems, the more stress, the more whatever, the families are torn apart. But they have everything that you could want, and yet they're miserable. Why? Because they haven't learned what it is that God gave them that stuff for. He gives you the time and the talent and the treasure and the testimony so that you can steward it and give it back. If you will listen to what I'm saying, then today, if you open your heart, today can be that linchpin moment. Today can be that, that monumental shift in your heart where you, you can look back years from now. You can look back on this moment and you can go, hey, that's the moment that God got a hold of my heart. That's the moment that I realized that the giant of money has nothing to do with my finances, but everything to do with my faith. If you will lean into that today, and you will let God change you. Romans chapter 12 says, don't conform to the world and think like everybody around you thinks. Allow God to transform you by renewing your mind and changing the way you think. You're gonna have to change the way you think about all of this stuff, about how it is that, that finances affect you and how it is that, 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 that you were created to, to be. What does the Bible say about all your finances? God gives us three easy steps for taking care of our money. Three easy steps. I'll give them to you, ready? Give, save, spend. That's what you do with your money. Give, save, and spend. And I can tell you loved it, so let's start with the one that you love the most on there. Let's start with give. You're like, oh. can we get to something else? No, you start with give because this is where, what God says. He says, this is what's most important because it teaches your willingness to give is what demonstrates where your heart is actually attached. Whose money is it really? It will dictate how open-handed you are with it. The idea here is a lot of people talk a lot of talk. This is the one that you're gonna have to walk the walk. Pro, or Psalms, let me, let me illustrate something to you. Psalm says this in Psalms chapter 50, verse 15. Then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. I love that verse. Call on me when you're in trouble and I'll rescue. Sweet, I love it. I don't know what that has to do with money, but I like that verse. God, help me out. I'm in trouble. Help me out. The only problem with that verse is it starts with the word then. Oh, some of you don't understand how English works. That means, this means after you do what came in verse 14, then you can do what comes in verse 15. And we love 15. God, help me. God goes, yeah, help's coming. Do verse 14 and then do verse 15. Well, what's verse 14 say? Bring it 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high. Verse 15 says, then I, you can call on me and I'll rescue you. First, start by saying, God, it's all about you and all that you want. You're the one in control, not me. Then when you get into trouble, say, God, I already trusted you, so now I can trust you to rescue me. What do you and I do? Dear God, if you will fix this, save this, change this, help me with this, work with my kids, do this at my job, da, 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 then I'll serve you. And God goes, so you're the God and I'm the servant? Why don't you demonstrate that God is the one in control and that you're the one serving by giving and then calling for help? 
That's why it says in verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice is the one that glorifies me. To one, to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. To the one who orders his way rightly, gets their priorities straight. God says, when she figures out that I'm the one that's giving her every breath, every heartbeat, every penny in her bank account, when she figures out her priorities and she gets them in line, then she'll be in a place where she can call and get the help that she wants. <clears throat> You're like, that doesn't sound right. I don't think that has anything to do. I think getting my priorities right means God wants me to like help old ladies across the street, but I don't think it has anything to do with my money. And you haven't read the Bible. Malachi chapter three says this, will man rob God? Will you rob me? Yet you're still robbing me. And you'll say, well, how have I robbed you, God? And I'll say, with your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This is what he tells his entire, the entire nation. You're robbing me. You're robbing me. Well, how are they robbing him? Well, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter three, verse number nine says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. First fruits means before Uncle Sam gets his taxes and before you pay your bills and before you buy your groceries and before you invest in that, you take any increase, whether you find $20 on the sidewalk or you get a paycheck or you win the lottery, you say, before I do anything else, I honor God because I understand, watch this, I understand that he is allowing me to breathe. He's giving me the talent to walk around. He gave me that money and he's giving me a story to tell. And when I realize that all of it is his and I get a chance to just give back to him what he's already given me, imagine being God going, here's some talent. Here's some more time to stay alive. Here's some treasure I'm gonna bless you with. And here's a story that I want you to tell through all of it. There you go. Now, because you understand that I, who I am, give me back some of that so I I can see your heart demonstrated that your heart is with me because you treasure me more than you treasure the things I gave you. Now give it back. And you go, mm, precious. <laughs> and you act like that. God says, you are literally robbing me. I gave it to you and you, you need to give it back to me and you won't give it back to me. You're robbing from me over here and then you're demanding from me over here. But God, help my marriage and take this problem away and solve this thing with my kids and help me do this and help me do that. Meanwhile, give, take, take, take. You're pulling from one pocket and asking me to give you from something else. And God goes... Do you understand why you're not walking with me the way you think you're walking with me? Do you understand why you're not being blessed in the way you think you should be blessed? Do you understand why you feel like you're hitting a roadblock when it comes to a lot of this? Your heart is so wrapped up in that everything you have is somehow coming from you. At the heart of it, guys, that's pride. That's ego. That's selfishness. He says, if you, verse nine, if you honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I don't know if anybody in here has a barn or a vat. I like the idea though. Bring on that wine. I like the increase part, right? I love the increase part. A, a, a pastor I, I quoted last week is a guy named Dr. Tony Evans. He said this, once God becomes your source, you are no longer owned by your resource. Once you recognize that everything comes from God, I am no longer enslaved to the gifts that I've been given. I don't have to be held hostage. Can you imagine what it's like to just be set free 
from some of the materialism that you struggle with right now? When God starts to change your mind about money, you stop buying stupid crap. Yeah, I know. God sets you free, and you all of a sudden, you're not stressed about every paycheck. You're not missing out on being with your kids so that you can get overtime. You're not, you're not becoming obsessed with your 401k or keeping up with the vacation that the neighbors took. You actually start to sit back and go, I don't need all that crap. If you ever want to find somebody who's come to that realization, just go to a yard sale. All of their crap can become your crap. <laughs> you're just going to sit there and the light bulb will go off because you're not enslaved to it anymore. And you go, you know what? I only need one Stanley cup. <laughs> That's really all I need. It begins to change my mind. That's, now, if you're sitting there going, you're only telling us to give, Pastor, because it, it benefits Harbor Church, then don't do it. Be more mature than that. Have, the, have an understanding. I understand you're coming from some church hurt, and that's your reaction. I'm trying to tell you that God says that you, you will, your heart will follow whatever you invest in. And if you don't want to invest in what God's doing here at Harbor Church, then there are a ton of other great churches for you to go be a part of. Invest in them. And get, it, get excited about being on mission in your community to, to see God move. But if you really are going to be a part of something, then give to it and let your heart become attached to it. And then you won't be so upset if somebody sits in your seat. Or if God says, hey, talk to that person. You're like, but I'm out of time. No, no, no. Your time is my time. Go talk to him. And now all of a sudden you become open-handed with stuff because you're learning to invest in what it is that God's given you. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you must decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. My job is not to pressure you. If I wanted to, I could guilt trip you really bad today. And I'm never going to try. I hope I will never do that. I don't ever pass an offering plate at our church. Some of you don't know what that means. Like you haven't gone to the church where they stick a basket in front of you all the time. And I could get more of you to give because you know other people will be watching you. And our offerings would go up if I put an offering plate in front of you. Because you would be like, oh, people are watching. I better put something in. I'm not interested in that. I believe that God will take care of us even if you won't. I'm telling you, it's an opportunity for you to have your heart released to do what it is that God's already empowered you to do, which is invest in the kingdom and not in your own personal castle. But he says he loves a cheerful giver. He, God, loves somebody who gives happily. If you can't get to a place where you do it happily, it speaks to the fact that your, your fear is wrapped in the fact that you have to have money. And it's not a faith thing. He's saying get to a place where you do it out of faith, where you're like, man, God, I believe that if I give you 10% of what you've given me, that you're more powerful to work through the 90% that I have left over than if I keep 100% for myself. The fact that you won't do that speaks to the fact that your faith isn't really in God, it's in you. Because here's the truth. If, I, if your boss called you tomorrow and said, hey, you're getting a 10% cut, you'd be, really, you'd be really upset, but you would find a way to live. But I just told you to give 10% and you went, why? Because your faith isn't in God. Your faith is in you. And that's what this giant exposes. And that's why I hate talking about it because I would rather just assume that I got all my crap together. But the Bible says no. That's why I give. It demonstrates where my heart needs to be and it forces me to take the reality of I should at least be giving this much and I'm not. I give Dunkin' Donuts and I give Uncle Sam and I give Comcast way more money than I give God. And yet I tell him he's the most important thing. Just, just, just see the own, your own inconsistencies. This is why it's, it's a struggle. But once you learn to give, 
Then you go to number two, which is save. <clears throat> Did you say that one right, Pastor? I feel like you mean go to spend, because if I do the give thing, then I should be allowed to spend. No, no, no. You savings, biblical savings, aren't your leftovers. Why? Because God tells us to be investing in something bigger than just the immediate. Save, <clears throat> Proverbs 21, 20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever, some of you, some of you have the first dollar you ever made because you're frugal like that. There's the rest of you in here that you, you got your job. You remember when you got that paycheck? It was burning a hole in your pocket. You're like, oh my gosh, I got money. What can I buy? <laughs> What's shiny today? Oh, I need that. <laughs> and QVC comes on. You're like, yes, please. Like, like everything, like you just get wrapped up in what you can buy because like it, a, fool is, a fool and their money are quickly and easily parted. Uh, it says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I mean, somebody that's thinking ahead says, it's not just about me in this moment. What am I investing in for the future? What am I saving for? It says in Proverbs 30, look at the ant. The ant saves up food for the winter. Are you kidding me? At least as smart as an ant. He's, he's just he's speaking to this idea that if you will invest, if you will take on, this is what it's called, behavior modification. Save before you spend. That will require discipline. It will require a process. But if you will take a step towards this, your life will begin to align financially on a biblical plane way better than it would if you stayed in the worldly plane. Once you give and save, now you can spend. Woo! Let's talk, let's camp there, Pastor. Let's talk about why I got some things to spend. It, it shouldn't be the way you have been. That's how you got in this problem. See, here's what biblical spending looks like. <clears throat> Proverbs 16.3, commit your actions to the Lord and then your plans will succeed. Plans, yeah, he's saying if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail, which means have a plan for your finances. It's also called a budget. Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, woo, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Have a plan. Be intentional. It is godly to steward things well. He is the God that, is, that cares about order. He's not the God of chaos. You just, I got a paycheck. How am I going to spend it? Is not honoring to God. It will require you to have discipline to go, here's where these things need to be allocated. If you notice that I've been reading a lot of Proverbs today, anybody notice that? Some of you are like, I don't pay attention when you read the Bible. The rest of you that were, I've been leading a lot of Proverbs. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. Ramsey, he's kind of like a financial guru. He's got a, uh, some TV shows. You'll see him on the news. They bring him on on the national news whenever there's a big debt problem. He's got a podcast and a bunch of stuff that talks about it. He says this. He says, if you read through Proverbs again and again, you'll earn a master's degree in finance. There is so much in the Bible especially in Proverbs about how to manage your money. Do you know that there's 31 Proverbs? 31 chapters of Proverbs. That means there is one proverb for every day of the month. If you read a Proverbs a day, at the end of the year, you will have read through that book 12 times and you will have not just the equivalent of a master's degree in finance, you'll have several degrees in the, in the area called wisdom. And man, it would be such a great investment for you. It says this in Philippians when it comes to spending your money. God's plan for spending is different from what you've been doing. At this, this is the same God, Paul writes this, who takes care of me, he will take care and supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All of your needs, 
Here's what you need to write down. Spend on your needs, not on your wants. Spend on your needs, not on your wants. Oh, but they're the same thing. No, they're not. Philippians says, uh, or Thessalonians says that, it's, uh, that your, your needs are food and shelter and clothing. And we are the ones that take that up a notch where we're like, but we got to have the nicest of nice. I need the nicest place to live and the nicest clothing and the nicest car and the nice. No, you don't. You want that. But maybe you're in the place you're in because God is teaching you to be content with what you need and him meeting those needs. It says he'll meet your needs. He'll take care of you. Well, doesn't the Bible tell me that I can have whatever I want? Not exactly. In Proverbs or in Psalms 37, which is what a lot of you are thinking of, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Take delight in the Lord, he'll give you your heart's desires. I like this. My heart desires a Lamborghini. Yeah, well, you need to take delight in the Lord first and then watch how your desires begin to shift to what it is that he wants for you. He will begin to show you that maybe you don't need that second boat. And some of you are like, I don't think that's fair. Listen, if you have a boat, praise God. Please invite me out on it sometime. I'm not against you having a boat. I'm just saying that maybe some of the things that you think you just absolutely have to have, it isn't God's timing for you to have those right now. But this comes back to your faith. That's why Philippians 4 says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. God might have you in this season because you are discontent with a lot of things. And so the financial pain you're suffering, this financial giant you're struggling with is because you're discontent. You're wanting more. I told you uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 earlier, you shall remember the Lord your God. It's God who gives you the power to get wealth. This comes from God. He will empower you. He'll take you on a journey to gain wealth. The problem is it's a process. Proverbs 13.4, lazy people want much, but they get little. Those who work hard will prosper. You have to work hard at doing what it is that God's called you to do. You're gonna have to discipline yourself to spend on your needs, not on your wants. To give first, save second, spend on your needs before your wants. And then after you've done those three things, if you still want and God has blessed you with extra, then spend on those wants. Awesome. But our problem is most people spend on their wants first and then they try to buy their groceries after that. And then they have nothing left to save or to give God. And Satan laughs at us the whole time. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Self-discipline, budgeting is not enjoyable while it's happening. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. Pastor Josh, you don't understand how big my debt is, though. You don't understand how big my problem is. You don't understand how big my plans are. I just got to get to this stage, and then I'll do it God's way. Here's what you don't understand. Your fear of not being able to afford to give will actually cost you your opportunity to see God move. This fear you have that I can't afford to do it God's way right now, that's gonna be the thing that costs you. You can absolutely afford it because God says that's what he gave it to you to do. You can't afford not to is basically what I'm saying. You're gonna lose out on the opportunity to see God work in a very miraculous way. How do I know? Well, it says that it'll be miraculous. It says to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could ask or think, that's the God we're serving. So your plans for your finances and your budget for what you want to see happen and your vision for how good it could be, your life could be, is nothing compared to how good God wants your life to be. He can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. You think your debt is insurmountable and God goes, I'm not worried about your debt. 
I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm worried about the fact that your heart is far from me. And that's what, that's what we're wrestling through. Luke chapter six, verse 38 says, if you're gonna give, give and understand that you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. It'll be pressed down, shaken together. Make room for even more. It'll be running over to be poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you give back. God says, you can't, this is what God's saying. Understand this. You can never outgive me is what God's saying. If you give me, I will give to you. Hannah didn't have any sons. She said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He gives her Samuel. She gives him back to God. God gives her a whole bunch more sons. The little boy with the fishes and the loaves, he's just got a couple. He's got enough of a lunch for him, but he gives it to Jesus. And Jesus says, watch this. I'll take it and I'll feed everybody and there'll be leftovers. Because when you give to God, he can do more than you could do if you kept it for yourself. Somebody make some noise because I'm losing my voice right now. Come on. How do I do that? How do I do that, Pastor Josh? Well, you need to read. One, read God's word. But two, I don't know what kind of debt you're in. It might be medical bills. It might be student loans. It might be, it might be uh, you know, a mortgage. There's a lot of books, a lot of good stuff out there. Here's what I'm going to do. I bought this book, The Total Money Makeover. It's by that guy, Dave Ramsey, that I was talking about. He's a best-selling author, um, but he's also a believer. And so he has a lot of biblical truth. I believe all truth is God's truth. Sometimes the world just finds a little bit of it. He knows it and he talks a lot about how to, how to work through your finances and, and truly deal with this giant. I bought a bunch of these and I'm giving them away today. If you come find me out on the patio and you tell me, you tell me, pastor, I wanna see the giant of money fall in my life. I'll give this book to you for free because I think it's a good opportunity for our church to invest in you today. So you come grab one of these if you need it. I got them for you. Now, I didn't realize how many people on Thursday night needed this book. <laughs> so I've got like 15 or 20 per service. I know there's a couple hundred of you. If you're not one of the first 20 people to get out there and get a book, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll write down your name. I have about another hundred of them coming tomorrow. They just couldn't get here today. So I'll, ha I'll still have your free copy, but you got to come see me today if you want to get it. And then I'll have it for you because I really do think it's, it's a chance for our church to invest in you. And this might be the step that you need to take to see this giant fall. I think God will bless you for it. Let me also say this, uh, we'll be offering in our next semester of connect groups and, and growth groups, next semester in the spring, we'll be offering Financial Peace University. If you've never taken that, it's a nine-week course to help you realign. It's kind of like it'll walk with you step-by-step step because some of you need that coaching, you need that accountability. This is a great course to take. Uh, start saving now. It's $80 a person, but it'll give you an entire set of tools to walk through that nine weeks. You can sign up for that after we get past Easter. That class will come up, but I want you to put on your calendars now because some of you need to do that. That'd be a great step for you. Some of you are going like, what are some other practical steps? Really quick, let me tell you what you what you should have been told, but maybe you didn't have somebody that, that knew this or maybe you didn't have somebody to invest in you. Here's a couple of things that you can do if you're struggling right now. Stop borrowing money. You can't get out of a hole by digging. Stop digging. Some of y'all, you're driving a, a $20,000 car and you make $30,000 a year. That's not a smart investment. It impressed somebody for two minutes and now you're paying on something that you can't afford. Get rid of that, get a car that you can't afford and then save those payments until you've saved up enough that you can actually buy the car you want. I don't like that. Yeah, it's called discipline. Stop borrowing money if you don't have it. We have to stop all this money that's running out. You gotta, you gotta slow down this outflow. Another thing you can do, some of you guys, sell something. <laughs> sell some of that crap that you don't need. Stop those subscriptions that you're paying. You're paying a lot of money before you ever even get into your month. These guys are just automatically taking it out of your bank account. But I got to have Netflix. No, you don't. 
Less Netflix means more time to work. <laughs> Sell something. Go on eBay and Craigslist. Get rid of some of that crap. Go on Marketplace. Well, maybe not Marketplace. My wife will be like, hey, Josh, can you run this toaster down to the Sagamore Bridge? There's a dark alley the guy said he'll meet you in. <laughs> cool. How much? $5. $5. Perfect. Hey, that's cool. I wanted to die for this. Cool. Maybe be smart on what you sell and how you sell it, but sell some stuff. You know, be willing to get rid of it. There's an old saying. <clears throat> Uh, there's a great place to go when you're broke, to work. Some of you, some of you, you you're gonna, here's the truth. Some of you need to get a second job. Some of you need to get a second job. You're like, I don't want a second job. Yeah, but you need to work harder now so that you don't have to keep working harder later. Um, this will get you into a place where maybe you can get to ha having to work less as you get older, um, but you gotta do it right now. So Jason, some of you are like, I want this now. Well, you want what your parents had, but it took them 40 years to get there. Don't do that right now. Like right now, work hard. If you got that availability, do it. Some of you need to attack your debt. Take on the smallest thing you owe and pay it off so that you can take on the next thing and the next thing. And once you start getting rid of debt and you start finalizing those payments and you watch those things fall, you start to get excited. You're like, oh my gosh, I could get out of debt. I could actually pay this off. I could actually, I could actually be free from this. And man, the momentum starts to build and the joy starts to return because God's designed you to live free. Can you imagine, can somebody just, just daydream for a second. Can you imagine how much money you could start to save if you were actually out of debt? How much money you could invest? How much money you could give if you weren't paying to all these other creditors? Man, God wants to set you free. You're just gonna have to take some of the steps to get there. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Josh? How do I actually give? Well, remember what the principle that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, 19, don't store your treasures here on earth. That's where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy them, where thieves can't break in and steal. You're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to come to the truth that it's time for me to invest in something bigger than my castle. I'm gonna have to start investing in the kingdom. Once again, this is not for, this is not for the sake of harbor. This is for you and your relationship with God. If harbor isn't your church, then go find a church that you can be a part of. I'm not trying to build this. I believe God will build his church but I do think he's called some of you to be a part of a mission that we're on. But don't tell me you're part of the mission when Dunkin' Donuts gets more of your money than God. I'm just being honest with you. Here's what you need to do. Every single one of us, myself included, every single one of us have a step to take today. We all do. Well, I think I'm pretty good. You still have a step to take. You're not Jesus yet, so grow up. Some of you, here's your step. When it comes to giving, give something. You don't give anything. There's many of you here, you're like, I don't know what I, I don't know, I'm kind of new to this. Just give something. You haven't given anything, give something. I don't know what that is. Just, just say, okay, God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, okay. And let go. And just watch how chains start to fall when you start to become open-handed. Some of you already do. A lot of you give. This is a very generous church, very generous church. A lot of you give. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Go from giving something which tends to be whatever's left over at the end of the week or whatever I feel good about. Go from giving something to giving specifically. Give specifically. What I mean by specifically is give a percentage. And that means first fruits. Go to your, before, before the taxes, before the budget, before the groceries, before all that, go, God, I'm gonna give you this piece, this small piece of it, I'm gonna give to you. And then I'll figure out what to do with the rest because I believe you're that much in control. Now, I don't know what that percentage is. It could be half of 1%. I don't care. That's between you and God. 
but be intentional. You might want to go online and set up online giving so you can make sure that before Netflix and before your bills and before your oil and before all those things, before they get all their peace, you give God his. And just give something. Give something specifically, intentionally, a percentage. And if you're already there, you're like, I give that. I'm intentional about my giving. I'm giving first fruits. By the way, you teach your kids to do this. My kids know whether grandma sends them $5 for their birthday, they get a couple bucks for mowing the yard, or if the tooth fairy comes, that whatever they get, they know like, hey, what are you setting aside to give to God? And you teach it to them at a young age. And it, it breaks that bond of like, I have to have money early. Like, oh, I get to give. You, get, you can do that. Once, if, once you're giving specifically, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Go from giving specifically to giving significantly. This is what the Bible calls a tithe. This was, in the Old Testament, this was the law for the minimum that needed to be given in order for the threshold of God's blessings to come. If you read the Bible, once you got to the point of doing the minimum of 10%, God said, this is where you're really going to start to see blessings. That was the requirement for anybody who wanted to be a leader, who wanted to demonstrate like, hey, here's where I got to go. So if you want to take that step to give to 10%, that, that's that significant piece, and that will require a lot of discipline. Some of you are like, it's too much. I understand. That's why I said start somewhere else. But some of you are already there and God's, God's saying, hey, I'm calling you to go to, the, to that. Now, if you're there and you're like, pastor, I'm already doing that. I already tithe. I'm going to encourage you to do what I do. Go from giving significantly to giving sacrificially. That means increase and go above and beyond. The Old Testament law minimum was 10%. And a lot of people are like, we're under the New Testament. And the New Testament says that that was the minimum that grace might abound, so we go above and beyond. The church in Acts sold everything, so they give. Now, some of you are like, well, I already give. I, I give to a lot of charities. That's your ego being in control. You're not giving it to God, so you don't get to take credit for giving it to God. Giving it to God says, God, here's where it is. You give God his, and if you have enough, he's blessed you enough to give charitably, above and beyond, then go and do that. I think you should. I think it's great. What a great testimony. But don't rob from God and give to another charity and then tell God that you're giving to him. He's saying, no, I want you to not have control of it because that teaches you the humility to let go. But giving significantly. Now, you might be like, you can't do that. When I first started giving, I was, man, I remember as a very poor youth pastor, I was like, Kaylee, I think, I don't think we have enough to afford the, the cardboard box under the overpass. Like, I don't, it's like, we weren't going to afford a house. We weren't going to afford anything. She's like, hey, I'm in it with you. I was like, okay, cool. We got to give. And we were so in debt. How could we give? And we said, well, let's just give something and just, just get the habit of giving. And then we got to 1%. And then we got to 2%. We got to 10%. And we're like, whoa, we, we, had, we never thought we'd get to 10%. And you not, might not be able to tell this by looking at me, but I didn't miss a lot of meals. <laughs> God, God took care of me, even through stuff that I never thought he would. But once we got to 10%, we said, hey, can we, can we do more than this? Let's try to give 11%. And then we did, and we said, can we give 12%? And the next year we said, can we give another percent? And the next year we said another, and then another, and then another. And by God's grace, every year we're, we're able to give more and more than we ever thought. Now, don't, catch, don't get me wrong. There are days where I look and I go, man, I could have a much nicer car. I could have, I could have a better vacation if I didn't give that much money to the church. But then God reminds me that I'm not storing up my treasures here on earth that are just going to rust away. I'm investing in something bigger than myself. I don't say that to brag on me. Please don't, don't hear that. I'm saying that to say I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do. To give sacrificially means I, I'm, I'm allowing God access to my heart because I'm trying to remember what he said in, in Matthew 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the rest of this stuff gets added to you. He will take care of, it says he will give you everything you need. Most of us look at that for money. Do you understand there's a lot of things that you need that have nothing to do with money? There's a lot of things that money won't buy that God will take care of making sure you got. But he says, put him first. There's, if you think this is a mean thing from God, you're missing out on what it is he's trying to bless you with. Because the rest of Malachi 3 says this. If you go back to that chapter that was kind of hard telling us we were robbing God, he actually says, bring all those tithes, bring those tents in into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do this, if you actually learn to give and be open-handed, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have the room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. The only time in the Bible that you're ever allowed to test God, you're not allowed to test God in anything else, but he actually gives you permission. He says, just test me. Test me what happens with your finances when you give me more than what you're doing. Just watch what I do. Watch how I'll bless you. Some of you are like, I don't know what to do. Pastor, I don't know if I can take these steps. Here's something that all of us can do. You can start praying about it. Every single one of us can. Pray, ask God. Say, God, I need your help when it comes to this giant. I need your help because I don't know what I'm doing. Some of you, you won't pray because you're embarrassed. Pastor Josh, I can't pray to God about money. I've made some horrible, horrible decisions. I'm so ashamed of my debt. Your debt doesn't scare your dad. Your heavenly father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not scared of your debt. Well, I'm embarrassed. He knows he has stupid children. <laughs> and like all good parents, we love, we love them when they're dumb. He loves us even though we've made a lot of stupid mistakes. He's saying, hey, if any of you lack wisdom, come to me. I'll help you. I'll help you. He says this. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount. Now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Because I'm just, everything I've given you, even, even this, this awkward message today is to, to see how you'll steward it and what you'll do in response. Because every, every decision we make gives us an opportunity to take a step to become more of the man or the woman that God created us to be. That step will always lead us to look more like Jesus and less like the old version of us. I don't know what step you have to take, but I know he's got one for you. Will you let me pray over you? If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, I'll pray out loud. Let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to give you back what it is you've already given us. Lord, I know that in a, a group this size and in a, a crowd this big, there are people here who don't know that they can trust you with their finances because they've never trusted you with their heart. So Lord, I ask that if there's somebody under the sound of my voice that does not know you as their Lord, as their Savior, that long before they trust you with their bank account or their wallet, they would trust you with their eternity. God, I pray that if there's a person here who's struggling on, on what's the best way to go forward, that they wouldn't be blinded by the world's philosophy, but that instead today they would just surrender everything they have, their time, their talent, their treasure, and their testimony to you because your plan is better. Lord, be with that person who needs to invite you into their life for the first time. And God, I pray that today would be the day that people can look back on and they can say, that's when it changed. That's when my heart changed. When I started giving God access to more of who I am, when I started trusting God, when it came to my finances, that's when I started to see this giant of money fall in my life. 
God, I believe that you've already helped so many of us in this room and there's already many stories of victory. But yet, God, I believe that there are some victories that are gonna come that years from now, we'll look back to this moment when we said, I'm trusting you, Lord. So God, I'm, I'm giving you praise for what you've already done. But Lord, I praise you because I believe you're going to do some really big things as we trust you. So God, thank you for those victories that are yet to come. Thank you that you love us enough to be a part of our lives, even when it comes to silly things like our finances. God, thank you that you love us enough to help us through all of these, these struggles. Lord, help us to trust you more. Help us to lean into you more. God, help us to find these victories that these giants might fall. We pray this, we ask this, we believe this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Why don't you guys stand up with me? If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.